Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. All right, well, good morning again, everybody. Good to have you here with us. It's just great to worship. It's great to gather and worship. And, and as we gather, we encourage one another. And so it's always so great to be here. Uh, good morning to you guys. If you're online this morning, you're watching on Facebook, or you're watching on the website, or you're watching on YouTube, who's uh, uh, upstairs? Pastor Vicki is your online host. Yes? Yeah, so you're your online host this morning. And so if you're online, pop in to say hey to Pastor Vicki and uh, greet her this morning. Uh, before we get going this morning, hey, there's just a, a little clean up, a couple little things that I'd like to just mention uh, this morning that I think, uh, I think are poignant to us. I think it's relevant in the day that we live. Uh, we've had just, there's some, there's some things going on right now in the culture, and I'll get to the message, but I think it's important we talk about this stuff. Uh, for instance, one of the things that we have right in front of us right now is the Roe v. Wade decision. And there is a chance that, that they'll overturn that, uh, I'm all for that. Just, just want to go on the record. I'm, I'm all for that. Uh, we had another horrific shooting uh, in Texas this week. And, and it's horrific. And uh, people are talking about legislation. And this isn't a comment about whether, what kind of legislation we have, should have. It's not anything about that. But I would say this, that the common denominator that I'm seeing in this, I'm just an observer, you know, it feels at times to me like we actually believe that our hope is in government. Like, you know, man, if we just pass that legislation, we're on. If we just pass, and here's the crazy thing. Both political parties, if we're honest, have their own idea about legislation. And what's really weird today is we're such a cancel culture that if I'm for this, I can't possibly say anything about this, even though I'm kind of for it. Because that view represents the other political party. Man, I hope we recognize that the hope of the world is Christ. These are heart issues. These are heart issues. Listen, I'm 100% for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I'm for it. Okay, just so you know that. But we act like if we overturn Roe v. Wade, our problem is taken care of. I'm saying, church, put your money where your mouth is. If there's a child that's born out of wedlock, what are we fixing to do about that? Is somebody ready to step up and help pay rent? Is somebody ready to step up and do some babysitting, become surrogate aunts and uncles, so that somebody can finish school? Like, are we willing to do that? Is the church willing to support that? Or do we just think, man, let's just have legislators fix this stuff? Like, that is not going to do it. It's us. It's the church. The church is the hope of the world because Christ is the hope of the world. And so to sit back and just count on legislation, that is, that is not a Christian worldview. I've been just reading through and meditating through the book of Romans in my, in my own personal study and devotion. And, and Paul is talking about a variety of things. And he gets into chapter 9 and he gets into chapter 10. And Paul starts talking about uh, this contrast between the law of Moses and how people think that gave them favor with God because they followed all the law. And he's saying, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about placing our faith in Christ. And, and, then, he, and then he went on and he said this, but how are people going to call? Because Paul says, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord, look, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he said, you will be saved. And then he goes on to say this, everybody, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. But then he goes on to say, well, how are they going to call on the, on the name of the Lord, on Christ, if they don't believe in Christ? 
Oh, wait, one step further. He says, how are they going to believe in Christ if they don't hear about Christ? One step further. How are they going to hear about Christ if no one tells them about Christ? See, that's the job of the church. That's our job. We're told that we're a light on a hill, that we're the salt of the earth. What happens if we lose our salt? My question is this, these are heart issues. These are all heart issues. They're not legislative issues, they're heart issues. Where is the church? And I'm saying church, we have to step up. You know, as as I've been driving around town, I was driving here this morning, I was driving on 90th Street, and I see all these flags that are at half mass. Rightly so, rightly so, the country is just saying we're mourning. Listen to me, man. God never flies at half-mast. The church is never at half-mast. It's like in our lives, we've taken our Christianity and we've dropped it to half-mast. And I don't, I don't want anybody to hear about it. And I'm saying, I think the church has to get ignited. I think the church, I think, meaning not, not Cedar Valley Church, the organization, I'm talking about individual believers in Christ need to go back to, to full-mast. We need to get ignited. How are people going to know if we don't tell them, if we're not living it out and telling them? So I just think this would be appropriate, and I don't mind cutting the message short. I think this would be appropriate. I'm going to ask us to do a couple things this morning. First thing I'm going to ask everybody, if you just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet this morning. And you know me, I just love awkward, so this will be awkward for some of you folks. But I'm going to ask us to spend just a minute, a few minutes in prayer. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you as you're standing, find two, three, four people around you, and we're going to pray out loud. Now, some of you say, I don't really pray out loud. That's not my thing. I'm like, here's here's what you would pray. I'll just give you a prayer. Just pray this. God, help me to be a light. That might be your prayer. God, help our church to be a light. God, help the church to be a light. God, begin to heal hearts and change hearts. So you pray as God leads you, But I want to ask you, turn, find three or four people, and I just want you to start praying out loud. I want everybody praying. Let's go. Get busy praying, and then I'll close us. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. So, Father, this morning, we, your people, your church, God, we lift up our voices and we're asking you, God, would you help the church to arise at a time like this? 
Lord God, would you help us as individual believers to arise in a time like this? God, how are people going to call on the name of Jesus if, if they don't believe in Jesus? God, how would they believe in Jesus if they haven't heard? How would they ever hear if we're not telling them? And so, God, give us a burden to tell people about Jesus. God, ignite your church by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're here with us now. And so would you ignite us, Holy Spirit? Would you give us a passion? Father, I pray for appropriate legislation. I'm not against that. Lord, I, I pray that you would give our, our leaders wisdom. But God, I pray that we wouldn't sit back and wait for government. God, ignite our hearts. Jesus, you're the answer. You're the hope of the world. And so God, ignite your church. Unleash your church. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Father, I pray, for, I pray for women who get themselves in a situation where they're now pregnant. God, that we would come alongside them. I pray that those women would know that the one place they can go is the church. That they would know they can go to the church, not be judged, be loved, and that they'll be ministered to by the church. Father, that we would begin to step up and do what is necessary. Father, I pray that where these, there are these mass shootings, first and foremost, God, I pray that you would comfort these families. God, comfort them. God, comfort these kids who are going to go back to school. God, where there's anxiety, give them peace in the name of Jesus. But God, beyond just that, beyond just that, God, change hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit through the name of Jesus. Glorify yourself. Father, I pray that this would be a defining moment where the church, who has the greatest opportunity, would step up. Would step up, Father. Let it begin with us. Our prayer at Cedar Valley today. Let it begin with us the moment we leave this building, Father. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for praying with me. You can have a seat. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I mean, I've just been burdened for that. I, I just hear all this talk about legislation and government. And, uh, you know, I'm not anti-government, but I know it's not the answer. And we know what the answer is. So, hey, a couple quick announcements for you. Uh, and I don't remember either of them, so that's going to go well. <laughs> I know next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. You are going to want to be here. If you're watching online and you just couldn't make it this morning, you're going to want to be here. It is one of my absolute favorite teachers who's going to come and teach. This is a brother that, te and I always describe him this way, and he knows this, and I say it to his face. He's the nerdiest dude. I know he's that smart, and he says it in a way where even I get it. Like, all of us are going to get it. And we're going to talk about the birth of the church. We're going to talk about, not the birth of Cedar Valley. I'm talking about the church, capital C Church. You absolutely want to be here. And then following that is going to be uh, that night. It'll be that night, not following the service. We're going to have a special worship uh, service that night. And it'll be a continuation of our Sunday morning Pentecost. You want to be here. Let's make this a big deal. Get here again if you're watching online. And you've never been here. It'd be great to be here next Sunday. I, I guarantee you that. And then lastly, I would just tell you that Wednesday, is Wednesday June 1? Okay, let's go with that. Let's go with Wednesday. It's June 1. And so this Wednesday, our new session of Alpha begins. If you're not familiar with Alpha, if you're new and you don't know anything about Alpha, or, or you're just new to faith, or you're not sure that you want to call yourself a follower of Christ yet, Alpha is the place to be. Alpha is the place where you can walk in and go, that's crazy. I don't know why the church folks believe that. Alpha is where you can come and say that. Alpha is where you can ask questions. Alpha is where you say, why, why, why do we do that? Maybe you've been following Christ and it hasn't been very long. And, and they're thinking, who's Jesus? Like, where does you, why do we believe the Bible? Why do we actually? Alpha is the place where you go and you say that and it's safe and you ask all those questions. It'll start at 6 because you have dinner at 6. 
And then the class goes 6.30, I believe, to 8. But Alpha is a place. Now, here's the other thing. You say, well, I've been a Christian a long time. Alpha is the place for you to bring people with you. You don't send people to Alpha. You bring them with you. And so uh, think about that. It's going to be Wednesday night, Wednesday night, Wednesday night. Well, we've been in our series on Luke. Uh, man, if you missed last Sunday's message, unbelievable. Pastor Amos, it was just such a poignant word, such a, a great word for our church. And so I would say this. If you didn't get a chance to catch it, you were out of town, you were sick, go online, pick it up, catch that one. I, th I think it'll be great for you. Here's a bit of a question for you. And that is the question I'm posing this morning just trivially. Think in your head for just a minute. Think in your head. What is the all-time uh, leader in movie series, in, in movies at the theater, in series of movies, all-time top grossing movie series? Got it in your head? What is it? What is it? What is it? No, man, it's the Marvel comic universe. It's, it's the Marvel movies. And the Marvel movies are, are all about heroes and really what they would call super heroes. And so you have like Captain America and you have Iron Man and you have Superman and you got Spider-Man and you got Thor and you got Hulk. Thank you, Hulk, brother. Yes. And they're the all time. I mean, like their top movie has made over two trillion dollars. Their next has been like one point five trillion. Their third most of all time is one point four trillion. I mean, the, the, the hero superhero movies. We're fascinated with heroes, you know, and, and typically heroes are like nuke the, nuke the world, save the girl. It's that type of thing, right? And, and, but, but, but here's a question that we're going to pose this morning because we're going to look at from the scripture. What does it really mean to be a hero? What does it really mean to be a hero? Here's another way to think of that. Like what's it look like to be a hero? And lastly, even this idea, who could possibly be a hero? We're actually looking at the scriptures and saying, what is this idea of hero in it? What does it really look like? It might be different. We're going to look at one of the oldest stories in the Bible, about a story that everybody knows. Church folks know it, non-church folks know it. You may be here and you say, I'm not really a church folk. I'm just checking it out or I'm lying. You'll know the story and we're going to look through it. So I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles, if you would. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You get into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Boom, there it is. Luke chapter 10. And when you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're wondering, we won't go up down the whole morning. <laughs> we kind of have, but we always stand when we read our primary text. And the reason we do it, it serves as a physical reminder for us that this is God's word. This is God speaking to us now in Bloomington, Minnesota in 2022. I'm going to start with verse 25. Follow along as I read. It says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Verse 27, the man answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, that's it, right. Do this and you will live. 29, the man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked Jesus this question, who's my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side, 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. 35. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who has showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's pray. So, Father, this morning we thank you for your word and we receive it. It's your word to us. You're speaking to us. You desire to teach us. But, Father, only your Holy Spirit can teach. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak. And, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to, uh, to, to, to receive this. You know, that we would understand what you're saying to each of us individually. Speak in a way that draws us closer to the Savior, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So, again, this is a story that almost everybody knows. Everybody's heard. It's become an idiom. It's become even an idiom. So let's look at the passage as we go through it. This is verse 25. He starts and he says this. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Now note this. He's an expert in the Jewish law. The law, the Jewish law, isn't like you can only drive 55 or you got to wear a seatbelt. That's not the Jewish law. The Jewish law is what we would call the Old Testament. In particular, the first five books of the Old Testament, what they would call the Torah. That's Jewish law. This guy's an expert in the Bible. In all likelihood, we can assume this, this guy has memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. He's memorized them. He's an expert. He knows them inside and out. This guy is good to go. And it says this, you should notice this, that the reason he's asking this question, this is really important because this sets up the context, he's testing Jesus. That's his whole reason for asking. Just keep that tucked away in the back of your head. Here's the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking Jesus, what do I need to do? Now, let me just point this out to you real quick. This is the biggest mistake that we often make, and this is a mistake that most people make. We believe that we do something, and that's how we inherit eternal life. For in most faiths, if you want to see heaven someday, you do something. The Christian faith is very countercultural in the religious world, and it's, it's very upside down in that we don't do anything. You can't possibly do anything to please a holy God. It's, it's by grace of God. It's a gift through faith in Christ. So first of all, this guy is all about what must I do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus being Jesus says this. Well, smart guy, Mr. Expert, what does the law of Moses say? You've got it memorized. What does it say? And he also asks this, which I think is interesting. How do you read it? He's asking this guy, what's the law say? You're the expert. You tell me. How are you reading it? Well, the guy answers, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Now, just so you know this, this is, this is not this guy coming up with something. This is Deuteronomy 6. It's the Jewish law. It's the Torah, Deuteronomy 6. Everybody knows this. Everybody in the room, like this is a large crowd that Jesus is talking to. This guy says, stands up and asks a question. When he's saying this, the whole room is going like this. That's right, that's right, that's right. Love God with all your heart. Mm -hmm, we agree. With all your soul. Yes, that's right. That's what the scriptures say. Yes, with all your strength. Yes, with all your mind. He's nailed it. Now, I, I want to I just pause for just a minute. And I'm going to fast forward you. And then I'm coming back to this. You got, you got it? So don't anybody fall out of the bus. Like, we're all going together. Like, just stay with me here. Jesus has already had this very conversation with another man at a different point in time. And this other guy asked Jesus basically the same question. 
This guy asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In another setting, it's recorded in Matthew's gospel. It's not here in Luke. In Matthew's gospel, there's another story recorded, and the guy gets up, and he asks Jesus this question, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, what's at the heart of God? What is very pleasing to God? What would I do? And God would say, oh, I'm so pleased with you. This guy asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He asked Jesus the question. And so Jesus gave the answer from Deuteronomy 6. And he says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Stop. Jesus didn't finish. He said, and. And when he says, and, everybody's like, there's an and? I didn't know there was an and. And Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've all heard this before? Let's close in prayer. No, so, so he says, love your, so nobody, nobody thought of an and. They didn't know that, love your neighbor. Now I'm gonna show you where that came from, but I want you to understand what it means because you're gonna see what this guy's motive was for asking his question. To see this, you have to go to the book of Leviticus. Now watch this from Leviticus, it's chapter 19. Leviticus says this, the Jewish law says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. Everybody got that? A fellow Israelite, speaking very specifically. But love your, now this time he used the word neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. So here's how Jews would have read this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your fellow Israelite as your neighbor. Jews believe that their neighbor was another Jew. It's my people. Oh, who, who are you supposed to love? My people. Who's your neighbor? It's my people. That's where that expression comes from. They're my people. Jews felt that their neighbor was their people, my people. It means another Jew. Okay, got that in your head. Now, remember this guy's question? You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Jesus has already answered this question. Greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with this other guy. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. I believe this guy was there and heard this conversation previously because he just answered this. Now, remember, the guy's going to test Jesus. We know that he has ulterior motives. Okay, now the guy finishes this, and he, the guy says this, the expert, and love your neighbor as yourself. He gave Jesus the answer that he knows Jesus wants. Remember this. He has ulterior motives for bringing up the initial question, which was, how do I inherit eternal life? And he says this, and now he's got a big cheesy grin on his face because he's like, I am the expert. I just gave you the answer that I know you wanted. Now what do you do with that, Jesus? Jesus says, yep, that's it. That's it. Go do that and you'll live. Jesus is done. So here's how I picture this. Yep, that's right. Do that and you'll live. And Jesus is ready to walk off. But the man wants to justify his actions, so he asks Jesus. Now, here's what we call this. This is the question behind the question. This is the second question. This next question is the whole reason that this expert brought up the first question. Now we're getting somewhere like this is the heart of it. So now he asks Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? He's already heard Jesus say this, love your neighbors yourself. We Jews believe it's our people. He's trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to catch him on this. He's speaking to a large crowd. They're almost all Jews. They're all good with the answers so far. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love a Jew like yourself. That's how they would have thought, right? So now he wants to justify his action. He says, all right, I'm getting to the heart of the matter. Who's my neighbor? 
Jesus replied with a story. Jesus, don't give us a story. Just give us the answer. Could you do that? You know, Jesus is going to tell a story. It's the story so many of you have heard. You know this story, right? And so he says this. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now know this. Number one, this is just a story that Jesus is telling. We don't think it was a real incident. He's making an illustration. He's telling a story. So in his story, it's very important that you know that the man he's talking about is Jewish. He is a Jewish man. Jesus specifically said that. He's a Jewish man. And we know that he's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't get this because we don't live there. How many of you have been to Israel? Few of you, yeah, you've been to Israel. You, you might have seen this. So here's a skinny. When you travel from Jerusalem, just remember this. When you, anywhere you travel from Jerusalem, you go down. If you're going north, you still go down. Jerusalem is a city on a hill. If you are coming from the north and you travel to Jerusalem, you aren't going down. You're going up. Jerusalem city on a hill. Jerusalem sits here. Jericho sits down here. It's a very well-traveled path. The distance is 16 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho, but here's the deal. In 16 miles, the elevation drops 3,000 feet. 3,000 feet in 16 miles. And so because of that, the road doesn't go straight. Because if it went straight, everybody would take a toboggan to Jericho. That's how you travel, <laughs> right? It doesn't work like that. And so because of that, because the elevation drop is so significant, the road goes like this. It goes like this. And, it went, and all of those whip back, whip back, whip back places are great places for ambush. That's why it's so unique that a single man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, because you don't do that. You travel in caravans when you're on that road, because it's so dangerous, because people are oftentimes mugged. In fact, we read in the scriptures, yea, though I walk through the of the shadow of death. That is a real place, and it is alongside this road. I will fear no evil. Even though I'm traveling on this really dangerous road, right to the side, it's the valley of the shadow of death. That's where we, that's why this road is dangerous. Like you just need to know this. And this guy's traveling that road as a single male, all by himself. Well, what happens? Well, of course what happens? He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, just PS, just so you know this. When Jesus tells people not to worry, he oftentimes tells them, don't worry about the food that you're gonna eat or the clothes that you're gonna wear. They didn't have a way to store or refrigerate food, so that was always on shortage. And most people, the clothes they had were the clothes they wore. Nobody had, just think about this. The, we know this in our country. The older the home, the smaller the closet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Like crazy in our house, and we don't have some big monster house. You could, you could a family of six could stay in our closet almost. I mean, I feel like that. <laughs> Growing up, we had this old, and it's just like a little closet, right? Okay, the clothes they had were the, were the clothes they wore. And so when you rob somebody, you always took their clothes. That's what they did. So they strip them of the clothes, they beat them up, and they leave them half dead. Got it? Here's a guy, laying, it's a story Jesus is telling. A single man traveling by himself. He's a Jew. He's traveling a very dangerous road by himself. He gets attacked, and now he's laying dead by the side of the road. Now you guys all know what happened from there. First guy that comes by is a priest. He's a stinking priest. He walks by, he sees the guy, he actually gets to the other side of the road and goes. Now, here's what we can assume, perhaps. He's traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. If he touches the guy, he'll be, unceremonially, he'll be ceremonially unclean, and he can't do temple work, okay, not for that time. And so we give him the benefit of the doubt. However, you remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that when you're really religious, that really religious people, Pharisees were this way, when you have a really religious spirit, you're more concerned about being right than doing what is right. Being right in this story means I've got to be ceremonially clean. Doing the right thing means you get over there and you help that dude. The priest walks by him. 
Okay? Then the second guy comes by. We're told that he's a Levite. Now, if, if you don't know this, no sweat. Every priest in Israel is from the tribe of, of, of uh, Levi. They're all Levites. But not every Levite necessarily becomes a priest. You follow me? So we're told that this guy is a temple worker. He's not a priest, but he works in the temple. He does the same thing. These are people who know God, who worship God. What do they do? He hops to the other side of the road and walks on by. Okay, then it says this. Next, it says, then a despised Samaritan came along. Okay, despised Samaritan is redundant. He's talking to a Jewish crowd. All Samaritans are despised. Here's two pennies worth of history for you. In about the year 700 BC, the Assyrians were the great kingdom of that time. They're the great power. They invade Israel. They take a bunch of the Israelites, a bunch of the Jews, and they take them out of Israel, and they take them back to their homeland, and they make them slaves or servants. At the same time, they take a bunch of Assyrians and they move them into Israel, primarily in this region of Samaria. Remember the three regions of Israel, Galilee, Samaria, Judea. This is where Jerusalem is. They take them into Samaria. And so because they all moved in there, a lot of Jews start intermarrying with the Assyrians. Well, that was a no-no. And they were told that in the Jewish law. God says, you start marrying them and, and you're going to take your eyes off me and you're going to worship their gods. Well, they started doing that. And so the rest of the Jews from that time forward, get ready for this, they literally call, it's appropriate to call, to call Samaritans half-breeds or dogs. That's how they would refer to them. There's such contention between Jews and Samaritans. We don't get that. when it's, We say all the time, oh, the good Samaritan. We don't get that. Jews hated, literally hated Samaritans. So when this says a despised Samaritan came along, we know what that means. They are a Samaritan and they hate them. They hate them. Well, this Samaritan comes. Now, remember, two Jews have already seen their Jewish brother, and they both walk by. A despised Samaritan comes along. Now, wait a minute. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And the whole crowd is just like, what's he going to do here? Like, what's going on here? It's the Samaritan dog, the half-breed, that shows compassion. Jesus what on earth are you doing? Now listen to me, this is, very, this is very significant. Many of the people, this is institutional racism at its best. Because many of the people who are sitting there listening to that story, they already have a picture in their head. Don't we do this? They had a picture in their head of who perpetrated the crime. And you know what their picture was? Samaritan dog. Don't we do that? Don't we do that sometimes? We hear about a crime. We got a picture in our head. We know who did the crime. And if it just happens to be correct, we say, oh, see, I knew it. And if it's not the picture we had, we're totally shocked. Right? I don't know who the Samaritan would be today, but I can venture to guess. I, I would venture to guess that today the Samaritan is a Muslim in our culture. It's somebody from the LGBTQ community. That would be the Samaritan. Maybe you just think in your head, maybe they're a certain color. That's the Samaritan. Jesus is turning the dog into the hero. That's who the hero is in this story. Now watch what he does. First, he feels compassion for him. Nobody did that. Secondly, it says he goes over to him. Wait a minute. The Samaritan is actually going over to the Jew. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. That means this. That means the Samaritan touched him. You don't do that. A Jew wouldn't touch a Samaritan. 
right? Further, it says that he does this. He puts the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. You got this? Samaritan voluntarily walks while the Jew rides his donkey. Now he takes the the Jew to an actual inn. Then it says, wait a minute. The next day, he stayed in his room all night and took care of him. Like, this stuff is mind-numbing. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Do you understand what Jesus just did? Folks, this is revolutionary teaching. This is absolute revolutionary teaching. And the Jews who are watching this are just jaw-dropped. They're just jaw-dropped. This is what Jesus just did. Jesus just redefined the word neighbor. He just redefined it. And he redefined it for all people. He redefined it for every nation of every generation. Jesus just redefined it. It is an idiom today that you say without batting an eye, oh, he's a good Samaritan. He's a good Samaritan. Jews never said good Samaritan. Jesus just flipped this thing. Listen, it's one of the reasons that I say this. This changed history so radically for the rest of history moving forward. If you don't currently follow Jesus, this is one of the reasons I say you need to follow Jesus. He's ahead of the curve, everybody. Jesus is ahead of the curve. Jesus gives authoritative teaching that changes how people think because he gives divine truth. This is what Jesus did. Now, get ready for this because Jesus is going to pull a great one. I, I love how he ends this. Now he says to this expert in the law, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was asked by his bandits? Now, you get the story. There's this big crowd. Jesus is standing there teaching. This guy stands up. Now, this guy is standing there going, why did I ask a stupid question? (laughs) See, Jesus says this. Which of these three would you say was a neighbor? Now, Now, remember this. What's the most important commandment? Oh, wait, wait, wait. How do I inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is equal to it. So in, in, in essence, what Jesus could be asking is this very question. See, which of these three love the Lord as God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength and mind by loving a stranger as himself? That's what Jesus is really asking him because that's what it means to love God. See, Jesus changed the dynamic. It's not just this anymore. You don't just need to live God. If you're not loving people, you actually don't love God. You understand what I'm saying? This is now equivalent to this. If you ain't doing this, right, you don't really do this. When Jesus asks him which was a neighbor, what he's really also asking is, which of these three love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving a stranger as himself? Here's another question Jesus might be asking. See, which of these three is a hero? That's what he's really asking. Because we think heroes nuke the world and save the girl. And here's what heroes do. They see a need and they meet it. Heroes count the cost. This is what the Samaritan did. And they pay it. And they don't talk themselves out of it. See, that's hero life. And you know who can be a hero? Even a Samaritan. See, anybody can be a hero. See, Jesus just... Flip this whole thing. This is a hero. Somebody who sees a need and meets it. Who counts the cost and pays it. 
who doesn't talk himself out of it. You ever stop and think about this? Like, this is interesting stuff to me. It's not going to be long after this. Jesus has seen a need, and he came to meet it. He has counted the cost, everybody, and he was willing to pay it. And he didn't talk himself out of it, and we know he wanted to. We know that he was in the garden. He said, Father, take this cup from me. Remove this cup from me. But here's the deal. Not my will, Father, yours be done. He saw a need and he met it. He counted the cost and he paid it. He didn't talk himself out of it. So Jesus says to this guy, look, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And this is something I think that's very powerful because you folks, you do this all the time. You're in a discussion with somebody. You know the answer. You know they know the answer. You, they, they won't admit it. So you ask them, well, what is it? What are you wanting them to do? You're wanting them to say it out loud because when they say it out loud, they're accountable. You folks, we don't have kids. You, you folks that have kids, you do this to your kids all the time. All right, so what's the right answer? Because you know that when they say it out loud, they're accountable. We say this to our spouses. Go ahead, say it. Tell me the answer. Because if they say it, they're accountable. We do it to friends. We, we all do this. Jesus is saying to this guy, smart guy, doesn't say that. That's my translation. Smart guy, tell me the answer. I want you to say it. I want to hear you say it out loud. Now watch how he says it. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Do you notice this? Do you notice how he said it? Do you notice he couldn't say Samaritan? Wow. Again, this is institutional racism. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. He just says, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus says this, all right, go and do the same. See, go and do the same. See, go and love a neighbor the way you love yourself. See, go and find a need and meet it. Count the cost, go ahead and pay it. Don't talk yourself out of it. See, when you do that, that's actually love for God. That's actually love for God. This is actually this. You can't just do this. You can't just live in this world and go, oh, no, I love God. I'm like, it doesn't look like it. So here's our big so what today. Love for God is love for your neighbor. And you can just say it the other way around. Love for neighbor, see, that is love for God. That's why I'm so compelled, man. It's not okay for the church just to come to church and worship. Oh, we love God, man, we love Jesus. I'm like, well, then we should see it. Amen. Right? It, we gotta see it out there. And I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me. If I love God, I've got to demonstrate it out there. All right, so let me finish with this question this morning. I'm talking to you. See, which of these three do you say was the neighbor of the man who was attacked? See, I'm asking you now. And once we say the answer, man, we're accountable because we know. So we have a big so what, and then we have a big now what. So here's my big now what. This is simple, man. Go find a need and meet it. Count the cost, but then pay it. And don't talk yourself out of it. Like, that's a hero. That's a hero. Anyone can be a hero. Anyone can be a hero. 
So Father, thank you for your word this morning. Challenge us, God, challenge our hearts, challenge our thoughts. God, challenge our preconceived ideas. God, speak truth to us this morning, but then that we would be not just hearers of your word, Father, but doers. Father, I pray that we would, that we would just make that connection that the way we're gonna demonstrate our love for you is we're gonna go out of this building and demonstrate our love for others. That we do find needs, we do meet them. It will cost us something and we pay it anyway. And Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would move ahead with it. We would not talk ourselves out of it, God. God, I pray that your church would arise. I pray that we would be different I pray that we would be the light on the hill, the salt of the earth. God, start with me. Make that your prayer this morning. God, start with me. Would I be different when I leave here this morning? Would I be looking for needs, meeting them? God, use us, your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.